kind of uh, getting the lay of the land. We're going to finish, uh, try to finish the lesson. If there are any questions or anything to, to ask uh, after that, uh, we'll, we'll open the floor to questions. I know y'all normally do this in a Bible class format or can do it in that format. Uh, I just kind of want to get to a point, then we'll be able to, to kind of resort to that or revert to that if that's all right with everybody. Okay. Okay. All right. Now. What we want to do now is we laid some groundwork, and uh, probably again could have more groundwork that could have been laid. But I want to look at some, uh, some 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 applications here, some things that I believe help you know exemplify and manifest what we've discussed and talked about so far. So I want to talk about sectarian practices, uh, sectarian practices. All right, there's an attitude I believe or, or, or a mindset that says, brethren, our brethren, no matter what they believe or practice. And I think you've probably experienced that. Perhaps maybe you hold that belief yourself. Uh, but I want to ask us, how do we know that brethren are brethren? Okay. Now, the idea, no matter what they believe or practice, they, again, they're our brethren. We've already looked at the term of false brethren uh, among uh, the Judaizers, or that which was referred to by the Judaizers. And so, you know, even when we withdraw from a brother from a local standpoint, okay, we admonish him. We don't count him as an enemy, but we admonish him as a brother. So I understand that. But this idea about brethren of brethren, I, th- I think that's a question we need to look at. How do we determine that? How is that determined? What factors do we use for that? What subjects do we use for that? What Bible command do we use that entails all of that? Okay? So these are things that I want us to look at. Now, as I consider, these are just some things I believe have caused a sectarian practice or attitude. Uh, you may have some others, and if you want to bring those up, that'd be fine. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm looking for others. Okay? So, first thing I believe that helps us to see the danger of sectarianism. And uh, this one, you know, I'll just say baptism. All right. You are, well, wait a minute now, Brother Harold. You said that sectarianism seems to come from an overemphasizing of something. <coughs> yeah, I stand by that. Baptism, really? How could it be possible to overemphasize the subject of baptism? Don't you know we live in a world today that rejects the command of baptism? Where people all over our neighborhoods, all over our towns, all over our state, all over our country are saying you don't have to be baptized to be saved. How could you possibly think and say that baptism is something that can be overemphasized as we live in a society that seems to reject it at every corner? Well... I want to be more specific. Baptism for the remission of sins, as people say it, I don't believe obey it now, but as they say it, I believe can cause sectarianism. Let's let's, let's talk about this. People say as long as they were baptized for the remission of sins, they are okay. They are saved. Now my question again is, how do we tell when somebody was baptized for the remission of sins? Well, the phraseology. You know, when you get up and after the invitation, when the invitation is uh, offered, they say that they're baptized for the remission of sins. That means that they were baptized for the remission of sins. As if the statement makes it so. You see. Well, it's not just stating it was for the remission of sins that makes it for the remission of sins. It's the baptizing for, for, for the purpose of the remission of sins that makes it so. But now, what does that entail? What does that mean? That I was baptized for the remission of sins. You know, when we consider the, what the Bible says about baptism, it is clear, without a doubt, 
That, that's what the Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 38. After Peter, of course, and the rest of the apostles, after death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, they would be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And, of course, the, the gospel sermon was preached by Peter and the apostles. And then we find, after Peter had said, Be it known, uh, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that the same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And how did they respond? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, Peter says, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name, in the authority, by the authority of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Of course, that's a whole other lesson in and of itself as well. And in Acts 22 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul himself, as he was in the city of Damascus, one Ananias would come to him and say, You know, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And I believe the idea of calling on the name of the Lord entails all of that. We find it also when he appealed to Caesar. That word appeal is the same word as calling here. It means to submit to the authority of Christ, to submit to the will of God. And that's all of that, what Paul was doing. Okay, well, see, there it is, Brother Harold. As long as we tell the person that's for the remission of sins and they understand that, 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 that that's the purpose of it, that's all we need to know. Question. Somebody comes to you, y'all starting a new work, you're probably going to experience it, experience this. I have yet to be in a new work that I haven't did. I'm, I'm just doing that. I know that. I'm not going to do it. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm uh, Harold Carlsworth. How's it going, man? Yeah, I just saw y'all here. And look, I, uh, well, they'll visit for a little bit. I say, look, I want to place membership with y'all. Yeah, really? Okay, well, I know you've been visiting with us. We appreciate that. What, what, how, how, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, we just don't, everybody and anybody just can't be a member here. You know, there's a lot of things we need to know. Okay? Well, well, I've uh, been out in the Baptist church. I was probably there about 10 years. Uh, before that, you know, uh, I was baptized uh, in the Baptist church, I guess around 2002. And uh, I was there. I was actually a deacon there. And. Uh, saw that that wasn't really where I needed to be. You know, those folks over there, they tripping. Man, they are something else over there. They're all about that money and everything. And that preacher, man, I tell you what, I, I just don't know about him. So I so you know, wanted to come here with y'all. Well, now, wait a minute now. Well, wait a minute. Well, well, you said you were baptized. Yeah, I was baptized. Well, you know, the Bible says you have to be baptized for the mission of sins. Oh, I was. I was. Okay. You're all right then. Come on. Was he? Brother, we're not able to determine that. You can't tell whether somebody was baptized for the mission of sins or not. I mean, that's something that they believe in, and really it's not our place to doubt it or to contend with that or to disagree with what they're saying. But let me tell you this much. What he does after that could very well be determined on what you say is okay and what you say is not okay. So you better make sure it's okay what you say. You see, because just because you say he was doesn't mean that God says he was. Just because you say he's not doesn't mean that God says he's not. So how do you determine that? Well, it's the doctrine of Christ. And what I often do, and what I have done, and my wife will tell you, what I've done in cases like that. So you were baptized for the mission sins? Yeah. Where you been? Well, I was over there. Why were you over there? Who told you that? Well, I mean, you know, I ain't know the difference. I didn't know. I mean, you know, I... Yeah. 
That's what I want to sit down and talk to you about. Because we have to understand something. Baptism, you know, the Bible, yes, the Bible, we clearly see those verses. But you know what else the Bible says? That the Lord's going to add you to the church. You see, you not only have to know that you're baptized for the mission of sins, you've got to know what God's going to place you with those sins or not. How can you be a Christian and don't believe in the one church? How can you have no knowledge of what the Bible says about the body of Christ and you be a Christian? Well, who are you? To, well, who I am is the person who had to contend with that himself. You know, when I was initially was immersed or wet, I went off to the Baptist church. That's where my wife was. Best person I ever met in the world. Couldn't find no person better than Countess. That's why I'm married. She was a Baptist, and if she can be a Baptist, good as she is, I don't want to hear all that stuff about no church. I just know I was saved. I needed salvation for the remission of my sins. I was in sin. I needed to be forgiven of my sins. That church stuff, and I lived for two years. About to be a deacon. Never forget it, brother. One Easter Sunday, sunrise service. I could not take it anymore. I had studied. Uh, actually, the person who immersed me, I, I never disclosed to him I didn't believe it. This idea about one true church. I never would tell him because I know he wouldn't do it. And I just know you had to be baptized by a preacher. You know, it's my mind. So I didn't tell him that. So we went off to the Baptist church and I remember him coming and visiting me one day. Hey man, you can study church. Well, yeah, man, I, you know, I, look, you got to look at what the Bible teaches about the church where God has placed you. God ain't placed you with no Baptist church. <coughs> Well, look, man, we all are Christians. There, you know, as long as we believe on Jesus Christ, we're all one, you know. You baptized the same way I was for the same reason I was. He said, no, I wasn't. Not for all the entire reason. You see, I know what the remission of sins are. So anyway, I started studying the church. I couldn't find the Baptist church. I couldn't find it by name. I couldn't find about what it, this organization was, what its worship practices were, the plan of salvation, the sinner's prayer. See, I always sit there and say, the sinner's prayer. Now, why are they saying that? Just accept these in your heart. Now, I had to be baptized. I don't get that. Oh, well, well, but Count's there. You know, she's a good person, so it don't really matter. Well, had I truly received the remission of sins, some of you men, have I, was I saved? Hey man, that's not for me, you know, that's not for, you know, that's up to you and God. Ultimately, it's all up to us and God, but really, we're, we're supposed to be the ones proclaiming the truth now. We preach the gospel. Peter didn't say, look, what y'all did to Jesus, that's between you and God. Okay? No. I don't believe I was. So after further study, we were having a gospel meeting in the congregation, and that's when I truly obeyed the gospel of Jesus. I don't believe I was saved. And you know why? Because the Bible says some other things. Right there in the same chapter. Then they that glad, <clears throat> gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Praising God in verse 47, having favor with all the people, the Lord added unto the church daily such as 
should be saved. Some versions say were being saved, which I believe is more accurate. We look at other passages of Scripture. Galatians 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink of one spirit. You see... The Bible also teaches us that we are baptized for the remission of our sins into Christ. Remember, he purchased the church with that same blood by which our sins were washed away. That's the same blood that he purchased his people with. And by the way, the church's people. See, I went off to another group of people. Another people. In Romans 6 and verse 1 through 5. Now, when you look at the Roman epistle... And what Paul says about baptism, I do believe we can go to Romans 6 and we can talk about the essentiality of baptism. Amen. I believe that wholeheartedly. Because the world and the culture that we live in, we do have to show and talk about the essentiality of baptism for the remission of sins and to be added to the church. But I dare say in the first century, I don't know if that was so imperative to talk about the essentiality of baptism. I believe to a great degree it was understood. You see, it's that sectarian spirit, that denominational spirit that came out the way we have to now at every corner defend the essentiality of baptism. But I believe Romans 6 talks about the implications of it, what it means. Not necessarily that it has to be done. Now, again, it has to be. And yes, but remember, the Hebrew writer says that we need to get on past the doctrine of baptisms. Okay? I believe it was understood. So here's what Paul says in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Harold. So you've been immersed for the remission of sins. You don't went off to the Baptist church now. Shall you continue in sin that God's grace may abound? Harold, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein, Harold? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Harold, I'm not trying to add to the verse. I'm just telling you, it applies to me. Well, tell me. I don't know. Okay, I know. Sitting there thinking I'm saved and I'm just as lost as all get out. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Newness. Not with that same mentality. That same anything will do just as long as it's done. Mentality. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we should also live in the likeness of His resurrection. Of course, a new man in Christ. Remember, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. What creation? That new creation that is through him. There was an old creation back in the day, way back in the book of Genesis. But there's a new creation now. And you have to be born again into this creation. You have to be a new creature in Christ. You see, Christ is the image of the invisible God. And you have to be conformed to his image. And the question is, tell me Christ would have went to some something that ain't got nothing to do with nothing. But foolishness. Would Christ have been over there? See, this idea about baptism solely for the remission of sins has caused people to creep in, creep in. And they bring that denominationalism right along with them. Told it right in home. Here I am, yeah, now let's talk about the practices that I'm used to, the things that I believe we ought to be doing. 
repentance is the hardest, hardest act of obedience. Because it's not just a turning away from immorality and practices that are, are, are contrary to smoke and drink and cussing. It's not just turn. It's literally a change of heart. You become a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You don't even think of religion the same way. You don't think of God the same way. You don't think of Christ the same way. You don't think of yourself. See, you thought you were this, that, and the other. But now through Jesus, you know you don't know nothing. He's there to show you everything. See, that's repentance. It's a change of heart. And you can't practice sin with a change of heart. You're not supposed to be able to. And so the reason I say all that is, yeah, baptized for the remission of sins. As long as they were baptized for the remission of sins, okay, you, we better examine what that means and what all the Bible says that means. <laughs> and beloved, you may, you, y- y'all here may not have a problem with that. Amen to you. Commend you on that. But there are a lot of congregations, a lot of brothers that this, this, is, this is a serious issue. Church designation, I believe, is another issue, another practice that we better be mindful of when it comes to sectarianism. There are three approaches or ideas, I believe, to this particular subject. Uh, one is the name of the church, whether universal or local, okay, means nothing. We can name ourselves anything we want to be. We're God's people. Remember how we talked about those literal applications in our lives? Okay. My children, they got my name. I'm sorry, they have my name. My wife has my name. She can't go pick any name she wants to pick. If somebody starts calling my wife Miss Johnson, we got a problem. And if she starts saying, uh, yeah, uh, I'm Countess Williams. Uh, That's my husband over there. What's his name? Harold Carswell. All of y'all looking, whoa, 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 what we got going on here? What is this? Okay. There are those who, it means nothing. It doesn't, she can call herself whatever she want to call. She's still your wife. <laughs> yeah, okay. The name of the church, universal local, means everything. As long as it says Church of Christ, they are. That's all I need to know. Then there are those who believe that the church, the name or designation, church, whether universal or local, means something. I'm of that belief. Means something. I don't know about everything. I definitely don't know about nothing. Okay? Now, what does the doctrine of Christ teach? Again, we have to appeal to that. What does the Bible say? What was taught? Well, what is the church of Christ? That's the first thing. Or what is a church of Christ? The questions that we need to have. Well, when we look at the Bible, Ephesians 1, 22, and Ghost, I'm sure there's other verses, and have put, I know there's other verses, and have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church is his body. When Jesus Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church, I will establish my people. I believe that's the idea. And even death won't prevent me from doing it. Okay, and that's the idea, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Ephesians 5.30, for we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Of course, it's a spiritual body, application there for us. 
Wherefore, my brethren, ye also have become dead to the law of uh, law by the body of Christ in Romans 7. Again, talking about the old and new covenants. That you should be married to another, even to him who is raised, uh, raised, who is raised rather from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit from God by the body of Christ. We're dead to the law by the body of Christ. Now ye are the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, and members in particular. So the church is the body of Christ, the people of Christ. We are all members of this body. We are all citizens in this kingdom. We are all uh, 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 members in this house of God. Now, the term church simply means assembly. Okay? Uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, verse 23, I, I kind of prefer the English Standard Version here. It seems to bring it out to me more. Uh, the, the, again, we talk about this idea of, of general or universal. Okay. Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, 22 and 23, But ye have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable, uh, in two rather innumerable angels, in festive gathering, and to the assembly of the saints. In other words, something that's joyous. And to the assembly of the saints, of the firstborn, rather note this, who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to the assembly of the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He began it all. And remember, Paul says that he might have the preeminence. Okay? In 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, For in the first place... When ye come together as a church, New King James Version uses that terminology as well, as well as New American Standard Version. When you come together as a church, as an assembly, I believe the idea here is a local assembly such as we have here. I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Well, why is stress local? Because, see, there's not going to be any divisions in the universal church. You know why? Because, see, if you, if you, if you send you out of that. God ain't going to have no foolishness in his body. Now, in local churches, because we are human, things can go unchecked and unknown and undone. You can have folks sitting up in a local church that got no business being there. But you know, brother, we, you know, we, we got... Uh, but see, now please know, your membership in a local church does not determine your membership in the body of Christ. And unfortunately, if we don't use the doctrine of Christ to make that determination by our own opinions, our own belief. We're going to have a, we're going to get surprised on Judgment Day. Because God ain't having it. We may have it, but He's not. That's why it's so important we make the determinations by this. That way we're making the determinations about what he says the determinations ought to be. And yes, he knows we're fallible. That's why he's given us this. That's why he gave us the example. We can look at this and see what his son would have done. What his son said needs to be done. What his apostles said needs to be done when such and such happens. Not just for the other guy, but for you too. You see Oh, you know, when you're not living right. One of the problems that causes sectarianism is that, see, because of me not living right, I have a tendency to 
when somebody else is living right, I have a tendency to kind of be a little bit passive with that because, see, I know what I'm doing and I'm not in a position to judge. I don't want to be a hypocrite now, you know. And, and because I'm doing this and that so and so. But, you know, guys, come on now. We all have sin. We all, it's like with our president, when our presidents get caught. There ain't nobody perfect. Yeah, I know ain't nobody perfect. That doesn't mean she be fornicating in the White House. Ain't nobody perfect. No, we, I, I get that. <laughs> but see, if we would clean up our lives, maybe we'd have more courage and boldness and confidence and assurance to say, hey, brother, you got to clean that up. But see, when you live in foul, you see. Sectarianism is dangerous. No surprise, I think there's a lot of churches that have separated themselves, uh, kind of become sects within themselves, because it's the sect of the sinners. Everybody who gets withdrawn from, from this church, flock over there. That's a side note. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> you know, and, hey, again, we all sin. Now, please don't, again, don't misunderstand me. But I think you know what I'm talking about. It's that house down the street where Miss Joan accepts everybody from the neighborhood who done got kicked out of their house by their parents because they didn't want to do what their parents said. You come on to my house. I don't care. And her house is the most rowdy in the whole neighborhood. She don't demand change. Y'all know that house. Churches of Christ. Y'all, you know, I really appreciate the solemnness. Uh, and I'm not an entertainer, but, you know, at least give me a... Because I can sit up here and just, okay, now I'm going to tell y'all something. Here's the deal. Joy to the Lord. The Church of Christ, churches of Christ, rather, the people of Christ in specific geographical locations, that should be the only difference. I mean, why are there so many other differences? Again, I know y'all probably can't read all that, but look at these churches, you know. And again, look at the designations. Uh, Acts 20 and verse 20, the Church of God, you know, he purchased with his own blood. The Churches of Christ, Romans 16, saluting, uh, 16 salute you. First, uh, First Corinthians 1, 2, as he talks about the Church of Corinth, unto the Church of God, which is at Corinth. First Corinthians 10, 32, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the Church of God. First Corinthians 11, 16, but if any of you are seen to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither do the churches of God. First Corinthians 11, 22, uh, what, have you not housed or eaten and drink in, or despise ye the Church of God and shame them to have not. First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians 15 now, for I am least of the apostles that have meet, uh, not meet, rather, to be called an apostle because I persecuted the Church of God. And just on and on and on. In First Thessalonians 2.14, for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Church universal, local churches. And by the way, by the way, I believe that the term designation God in these verses is still referring to Christ. When you look at 1 Timothy 3 for, uh, uh, verse 15, but if I tell you long that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the church of God which is the, the house of God, I'm sorry which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness God was manifested in the flesh, that's Jesus. Same thing we find in Acts 20 verse 28 
But I will take note to this. As long as it says Church of God, I'm sorry, Church of Christ, I'm fine. Well, really, that's kind of the least one I use. But I do recognize that in Romans 16, verse 16, as Paul talked about all these local churches and all these different areas, he says the churches of Christ salute you. And I believe in each one of these instances, that's what's being talked about. That's God, Christ. Because He is God. And it's His body. Now, I say that to say this. People say, well, I've heard, I've read some articles here, especially lately. Well, God never gave a specific designation to the church. Therefore, we can even be called just the church. Well, all that's true, but please know that you live in a denominational world. <coughs> yeah, but that shouldn't change how, well, when we look at the subject of baptism, why do we have to spend so much time talking about the sensuality of baptism when the Bible did? Do we have to adjust to that? You better believe we do. And the doctrine of Christ does that. That's what we have. And so when you say, well, we're going to call ourselves the church of God. Okay. okay. Amen. Biblical designation. I got no problem with that. But when I... Why? Because there's a denomination with that designation. Okay. And, and again, I, like I say, the designation doesn't mean nothing. And it doesn't mean everything. But it does mean something. Okay? It does mean something. See, I believe we put too much onus on this idea of designation. Well, we want people in the community to know that who we are. People in the community know who you are because of you. That's what people are traveling through. And, and yeah, I need to find a church. Where we, we, we put all of the people in the community need to know that we're a church of Christ. Beloved, let me tell you, they know that because of you. Not your son. I say it means nothing. It don't make it mean everything. It doesn't mean everything. Because there's many, plenty of people with their son. I'm going to tell you right now, they're doing everything except what Christ commands to do. The term of Christ or of God denotes both origin and ownership. We are his people. We are his church. We abide in his doctrine. Okay? These designations do tell us something. It tells me that there's a knowledge of the scripture. It tells me that. As a matter of fact, I would even go and say that there, at the very least, there, there's, there's an appeal to Scripture. I'm, I'm all for that. Well, beloved, please don't make it mean everything. It don't make it mean nothing. Both of those are not true. Okay? But these designations don't tell us everything. What about the idea that the right Scripture reference tells me everything I need to know? No it doesn't. <laughs> There's a judge. Well, he's, he's, he's gone now. Name, uh, he, of course, he spelled his name different than mine. Shows your name like you got to have more than a name. You got to have some other factors involved before you can really identify somebody. Except the name. Now, again, even the name Jesus or, or Christ. Remember, there were many people running around. Paul said, uh, Jesus said, you know, people are going to say, I'm here, here's the Christ. Don't, don't, don't you believe them. Okay? 
Everybody who says that, you history even tells us there were pity people called Jesus. So that doesn't tell you everything. Well, you say, well, yeah. Again, there's probably some obvious differences between me and him. His name's different. He spells his name with two R's, okay? Of course, I never went to Duke University. Other than that, you know, you probably probably kind of had a miss as to, well, other than that, what's the difference? Man, I'm not a judge. Never have been. So those are just some minor differences. Well, what about this, though? By the way, that's my name. A lot of different, lot of similarities there. Names the same, bald head, black, and he's gone. I'm not trying to make fun of him, I'm just trying to make a point. You better go by more than just what's on the name, okay, what people are calling themselves. How many people do you know who call themselves Christians and who are not? And how do you know they're not? They didn't do what the Bible said. But they call themselves Christians? So? I'm, I'm still here. I told my wife, I said, could you imagine somebody looking me up, say from back in the day, and without this picture, I'm gone. Because that is my name exactly. There is not, this is not what the doctrine of Christ preaches. All right. You know, in Numbers chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, Because of all the firstborn of mine, remember, God commanded the firstborn be designated to him. In Colossians 1.15, remember, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Of creation. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that, uh, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Again, the preeminence of King James Version says. All right. Uh, there were some that believed on Jesus but would not confess him. There were some that confessed him but would not obey him. Luke 6 and verse 46, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I would say. And then there were some that were baptized but did not continue with him. Again, you know, uh, Paul makes the condition, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. All right. We seem to have decided upon certain criteria to determine fellowship. Is this our, is, is again, is this our call to make? Or should the doctrine of Christ determine that call for us? Then finally, worship practices. You know, they're the, well, not finally, the right acts of worship can cause us to be sectarian. As long as they are performing the right acts of worship, they are okay. Well, I ask the question all and I definitely emphasize the idea of performing. You know, when you think about what the Bible says, Jesus said when he was being tempted by Satan, when Satan said against the devil take him up in the exceedingly high, high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of men and saith unto him, All these things have I, uh, will I give you if thou will fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto them, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the, word, the Lord thy God, and him only shall thy serve. These words can be translated worship, the word serve can be translated worship, it can also be translated service. In other words, it's not just a matter of worship, because again, are y'all doing the five acts of worship? Yeah, 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 okay, check, 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 gotcha, okay. Guys, just because you come into an assembly of saints, now I know that may not have a bearing on you, you say you're visiting the congregation, they do everything that the way the Bible says do it, but they have all kind of folks that are in unlawful marriages, just living all kind of ways, you don't know that, I get that. But the point is, just because you say that you're something doesn't make you that something, okay? 
Remember, the Bible says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually as the fruit of his lips, giving thanks to his name. But, but, now that's wonderful. Give praise to his name by the fruit of your lips. But to do good and to communicate not, uh, to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. In other words, worship and serve. What about how people serve the Lord? We're to worship him in spirit and truth. We are the circumcision which worships God in the spirit, Paul says in the Philippian church. But what about the work of the church? How and why have we determined that to be unimportant? How does the people of God conduct his work? Well, as long as they worship it, okay, I'm fine, really. Partisanism concerning how the work of the church is to be done has been the greatest contributor to sectarianism, and I believe that. I believe that. The divisions along these areas, again, I believe are necessary. I don't fault it. They which are made uh, approved may be made manifest. I don't fault it. Been there. I had to remember, I had to study my way out of that. Some of you may not know that. I had to study my way out of those things. Okay, and we'll talk about that a little bit more during the week. But now, this I declare unto you, that you come together not for the worse, for the better, but for the worse. But first of all, when you come together, I hear that the division among you, and I probably believe it, for there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest. We've already noted that verse. It's the good, it's division's good in some cases, okay, as Paul says. But now, as long as they're doing those things well, now, so many have the end justify the means mentality. As long as we get the results, it, it doesn't matter how we did. Well, see, that's totally contrary to what God says. As a matter of fact, the Bible, the doctrine of Christ teaches, it's not the end that justifies the means, but it's the means that justify the end. If you don't do it the way God says do it, there's a problem with God. Peter says, when we speak, let us speak as oracles of God. When we minister, let us do it with the ability that God gives or supplies, that God in all things may be glorified through his son, through Jesus Christ. To whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Beloved, when we do things, spirit, we have to do it the way God commands. We have to do it the way he tells us to do it, not the way we decide to do it. Is this to be accepted among God's people? The end justify the means mentality. When you think about the work of the church, what is, well, what about the motive? In Matthew chapter 5, all the way through Matthew chapter 7, especially in chapter 5 and chapter 6, Jesus Christ deals with the motive of the act. Here's why they do it. Here's why you're to do it. The purpose, the reason, the motivation is ultimately important. We cannot lose sight of that. It's not the end justifies the means. So many people have that mentality. Let me ask you this. We all must confess Christ. Okay? To confess means to, uh, to avouch, or again, to declare openly and solemnly. We all must confess Christ to say some, uh, the same thing or to agree to the statement. In other words, there must be agreement. There must be agreement. And once again, when you think about the work of the church, so many have departed from what the Bible says, and there's no authority for what they're doing from the doctrine of Christ. We as Christians realize that we have to acknowledge, confess who Jesus is. And it's not just saying, well, he's the son of God from a verbal standpoint. It's acknowledging that he's the son of God. In other words, he truly is Lord. And we must do all that he commands us. You see, you have to understand, 
We as Christians confess Christ. How can people deny Jesus? How can they do that? Well, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 through 16, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, fight the good fight, lay hold on eternal life, which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep his commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest to us in his own time, he who is blessed and the only potentate, king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable life, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. But now I also want to remind you of this verse. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Now watch this. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Then Titus says this, Unto the pure all things are pure, unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess. We talk about all that idea of confessing, professing. They know God. But in works, they deny Him. Being abominable and disobedient unto every good work, reprobate, disqualified. No, they're not denying Him verbally, but they are denying Him in their works. <coughs> well, their good works, says who? Who says they're good works? How do we know if they're good works? Well, because of the result. No, because of what God says. That's how we know. That's why our Lord says, and I'll end with this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils in thy name, done many wonderful works. Look at what we're doing. Oh my goodness, look at this. Look at all the people. Look at the big church, man. Look at all these different things. And then he would say, depart from me, ye that work lawlessness. I never knew you. Because you never knew me. You see, beloved, we need to be careful about sectarianism. Okay? And me be on guard about it. And the only way to guard that is doctrine of Christ. And no, nobody is perfect. But that doesn't mean that it's not to be demanded among those who are perfected. So we got to be careful. All right. I'm going to stop right there. And hopefully we can uh, talk. We'll, we'll kind of make mention of the things throughout the week. Uh, but any questions? Disagreements? You're going to get in. I was just curious if you're going to get into, as we go through the week, I guess how to mesh what you're saying about, basically I feel like you're saying not moving the standard, right? I, I didn't hear you. You're basically saying, you know, don't move the standard. That's right. Things I feel like That's saying. exactly right. <clears throat> First of all, we have to determine what that standard is. Right. And how we can know that standard. I think we've touched on that today. And 
how am I abiding that standard or have I departed from it? I think we can know that. I really do. Into how to maybe, and it sounds like you are. How to work into that, I guess, spiritual growth and studying and all, you know. Most certainly. Working. Most certainly. Meshing those two ideas together. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But I would say this much about spiritual growth. As my children have grown up, again, I always like to make literal applications. As my children have grown up, growth demands caution. Okay? In other words, if I'm not spiritually here yet, that means I'm going to be cautious about what I do. The child who is not a grown child and doesn't know fully what he needs to be doing, we don't want him running around doing anything he wants to do all over the place, all out in the streets and all these No, that child needs to be cautious until he's mature enough to discern what's good and what's... That's the way we raise our children. That's the way children need to be. I think when it comes to spiritual things, we're told, I don't know, so I'm going to just do just do and do and do and do and do until I know. And know what? By the time I get there, I'd have done so much, I don't care to know. That's the attitude that people have. A child is cautious. I know when I became a Christian, I'm going to tell you, I was kind of like, until I got, the more I knew, the more, hey, I'm right. Amen. Let's roll. But, you know, again, what are you trying to find out? Whatsoever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him, by His authority, whatever we do. And if I don't know, I better be asking. I better be cautious until I do know. I hate we're pressed for time because I know y'all would have more questions than this. But that's okay. That's okay. If you do have them, please write them down. Let us know. I, I may not know everything, and if I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know, and I'll find out. So I'll help get somebody that can help me know. Okay. But I'll please, again, apologize for today. All right. Let us bow. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this opportunity and privilege we've had to come together to study your word this morning. We're thankful for the sun that is shining down upon us such a beautiful day. We realize this day is here because you're not long-suffering. You're not willing that you, know, you are long-suffering. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, may we live this day, abide in this day with that purpose in mind. And may we help others, Father, to see the days that you allow man to have in existence is for that purpose. And let us please be diligent to help them do that very thing. Thank you again, most of all, for your son, Jesus Christ, by which we're able to be here this morning. And thank you so very much for the love and offering him for, the, for our sins. It's by him that we pray these things and do offer thanks. Please be with us to our next appointed time. Amen.